0: Welcome to the Love Before 100 podcast. I'm Rachel Birch, and I'm here because everyone says dating in your 40s sucks. So I decided to make a game out of it. Part scavenger hunt, part bucket list. I made a list of all the ways I could meet my person. Then I assigned every task a points value. The goal now, find love before I hit 100. Points or years, whichever comes first. This week, I cried a lot. I cried in the car. I cried on the phone with a friend. And one time, I even woke up crying. I kept telling myself, this too shall pass. But honestly, I started to worry that this too shall not pass. This week was the six flags of emotional roller coasters. So let's go back and I'll tell you exactly how I got to this place, shall we? So this week, we cross attending an event alone and where I don't really know anyone off the list. For most of my life, I hated going any place alone, especially if I didn't know anyone else going. I always felt really awkward. And then because I felt awkward, I'd be awkward. But over the years, I've really practiced being alone in public. Back in 2017, while I was going through my divorce, I figured I'd be spending a lot of time alone in public, so I better get used to it. I challenged myself to go out to lunch alone without playing on my phone at all. Just be present, taste the food, people watch, and be okay with people seeing me doing nothing with no one. I was in LA for a meeting, so I decided to go big with being visible and made a reservation for lunch at the Ivy in Beverly Hills. For those of you that don't know, the Ivy is, or was at that time, the place where the paparazzi would stalk and wait to take photos of celebrities as they left the restaurant. It was quite literally the place to be seen. It was a beautiful sunny day in the middle of the lunch rush. And so, of course, they sat me on the patio in the middle of everyone. Happy couples on lunch dates, big groups celebrating birthdays, and serious-looking business meetings filled the tables around me. At first, I wasn't quite sure what to do with myself. But pretty quickly, I just got absorbed in the whole experience. And guess what happened? Nothing. No one pointed and laughed. No one asked me why I was such a sad loser. No one felt so bad for me that they offered to pay for my lunch. I just ate my food and left. It's funny looking back because I was so proud of myself. So fast forward to now, I'm pretty comfortable going places alone, even when I don't really know anyone. Today's event is the VIP event at the Yacht Club that I was invited to last episode. As you may recall, a dad from one of my son's schools invited me to attend his company's event and just hang out. So we'll see what happens. I've given you guys a taste of the life in Newport, but I'm actually thinking we need a whole episode to fully explore the ridiculousness of it. There's a reason why there are so many reality and TV shows about the area. And as someone born and raised here, I've developed a sort of love-hate relationship with Newport. I love its roots, its core, its soul, but I hate what it's become, who it's attracted and what it now signifies. Newport kind of has a bad rap, but for good reason. There's a lot of the most primitive level of relationships here, men seeking manufactured beauty and women seeking obscene wealth. It's not everybody. I'm not even sure it's the majority, but it's an overwhelming vibe that permeates and kind of wipes everything else out in certain parts of Newport. At times, the showiness of wealth and beauty is unsettling. Things are often enhanced to the max and on display and makes everything seem so superficial and surface level there are those who are trying to keep up with the Joneses and here, the Joneses have everything. And again, it's not all the time or everywhere, but it's prevalent. And I try to avoid that type of energy whenever possible. Season one really chronicled my journey with learning how I fit into Newport. And so at this point, I love my people here. I love the weather and the ocean and my family and my little bubble away from all the glitz and glam. But every once in a while, I leave the safety and comfort of my bubble and I head out to mingle with the Joneses. There's a pressure or maybe an incentive to get the exclusive invite or be seen at the right places. It's kind of a golden ticket mentality. Since I tend to lean introvert, I actually don't usually even want the ticket. So today's event is not that type of event, but stay tuned because we might actually explore some golden ticket opportunities for the podcast. Anyway, this isn't that type of event, but the venue, the Yacht Club, could definitely attract those type of people. So let's find out. The Yacht Club is stunning. Wow. I check in and I'm escorted upstairs and into a large room overlooking the harbor. I see the guy who invited me sitting at a big round table with about five other men. I don't want to interrupt, so I walk outside and find a seat in the sun. I watch the boats in the harbor gear up for the race. It's race day. And sip an iced tea. I snap a couple photos for Instagram and eventually a lady comes and sits down next to me. She does not look particularly friendly. Her lips are full, likely from injections, but not overdone. And her makeup is perfectly applied. She's decked out in very appropriate yacht club attire. Apparently I didn't get the white linen pants memo. She's wearing a huge diamond ring that's blinding in the sunlight. She places her Chanel bag down on the seat between us in what seems to be an effort to save the seat. Minutes later, she gets up and then comes back with a plate of food. Even though I'm not really hungry, I attempt to strike up conversation by asking her, do they have anything good? She proceeds to list all the things on her plate and says she'll save my seat if I want to go get some. I walk back inside, and as I pass the table with the men sitting there, the guy who invited me sees me. He immediately stands up, gives me a hug, and says, when did you get here? Did you eat? Do you need a drink? Let me introduce you to everyone. We'll be spending the day together. You want to go on the boat? Let's go on the boat. I get each guy's name, rank, and serial number. Everyone is a CEO. I'm still not 100% sure what I'm supposed to be doing here, so I just kind of blend into the group as we walk down to the dock. I start chatting with the young guy in the back of the group. He's the only one who's not a CEO. He's handsome and has a nice smile. He's tall with blonde hair and big blue eyes. He's originally from somewhere on the East Coast, but he's been living in Newport for the last four years. Over the course of the day, I'll learn that he's 34. Okay, yikes. That he used to be a professional golfer and that his name's James. Two of the men in our group are married, one is dating a celebrity, one is engaged, and three of them are single, including James. We go on the boat, and I start chatting with one of the married men. Not chatting like chatting, chatting, just conversing, two humans. Anyway, this guy also grew up in Newport, and it turns out we know a lot of the same people. We talk a lot about how Newport has changed. He brings up the cougar bar from the season finale of season one, which, as I mentioned, is an institution here. And so then, of course, I mentioned the podcast. So now the topic of dating has come up. At this point, the single men start to speak freely about their dating experiences. I quickly feel like I've somehow ended up behind enemy lines. As the drinking continues, I'm still just having iced tea. I start to hear the stories and their viewpoints. One of the single guys is another dad from the school. He's a really good looking guy, but I know his ex-wife, which automatically makes him a no in my book. I have a couple rules about avoiding drama, and I refuse to date the ex of anyone I know personally. Just hard pass. Anyway, this guy is very good looking. I've actually seen him on the dating apps, but always swipe left on him. So he's telling me about the seven girls that he's dating. Seven. And of course, he has a main girl. He likes her the most, but she doesn't want a relationship. He says that's probably why he likes her the most and what makes him want a relationship with her. Sounds like crazy making, but okay. And then he tells me that the guy who invited us to the event actually has more girls than he does. The guy pipes in, yeah, but I don't really like any of them. And then the engaged guy shares a story about a rich friend of his who has women in all different parts of the world. It's all shared very matter of fact, like, yeah, of course, that's how dating is done around here. The men share stories of dates with women who order caviar and lobster and demand to go to fancy restaurants on the first date. They don't like this because they think these women are only after them for their money. This could definitely be the case. I know women like that. But also, there are so many Instagram reels advising women to show their worth by demanding nice dinners and turning down coffee dates. I start to feel sorry for all parties involved in this crazy dating game. The boat docks and we head to the fire pits to sit and have more drinks. I'm still drinking iced tea. James comes and sits next to me. We continue to talk about how hard it is to find good people in Newport. He's going to Brazil for a couple days and he's been perusing the prospects there. He shows me his dating app. It's full of Brazilian women and looks like the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition of Tinder. Seems like I'm not the only one who has better luck outside of Newport. As the event is coming to an end, James leans in and softly says to me, I've really enjoyed talking to you. You're probably one of the five girls I've actually enjoyed meeting in the last four years that I've been here. Actually, make that one of five people. I gently put my hand on his arm as I thank him for the compliment and I'm shocked to feel how big his muscles are under his shirt. I blurt out, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. He laughs and asks, what were you expecting? I blush and shake my head, foot right in the mouth. Ugh, he's so cute. Too bad he's only 34. After the event, I drive home feeling amused. It was such a fun day and I really enjoyed hanging out with these guys. I was there for eight hours. And then all of a sudden, a deep sadness washes over. me. I feel disheartened. All that talk of how it is in the Newport dating culture depresses me. I pull into my garage and walk inside my house. I can feel this strong urge, which I can only describe as a desire to wash the ick off. I decide to take a shower. With the water running down my back and legs, I imagine letting all the talk of dating in Newport leave my mind and wash down the drain. I'm particularly sad because I've been really thinking. After Sedona, and especially after the events today, I can now say with absolute certainty, I don't want the time of my life in the form of a sampler platter of experiences and men. I'm ready for a partner, like a real true partnership. Not to make him the answer to everything, but all those experiences I want to have, I want him by my side. I'm ready now. I'm clear. The time of my life involves one man who shows up as a partner. I'm done with that whole sowing my oats thing or whatever that was. I get out of the shower, towel off, and put my PJs on. I slip into bed. It's only 7 p.m., but it's been a long day. I pick up my phone and feel this strong urge to delete the two dating apps that I'm on. The very first thought that pops up, though, is you can't. Where will you find your guy? And plus, where will you get your podcast content? I open up both apps and scan my current matches. No one I'm particularly excited about, but wait, I have a new match that I haven't even messaged with yet. What about him? Maybe see if there's something there and then delete the apps? And then I start to replay the conversations with the men about dating from earlier today. The sadness comes on hard. Is that how everyone thinks? Again, that desire to wash the ick off washes over me. I just want to cut myself off from the grossness of the dating game. It's so confusing because I liked the guys from today. As people, I enjoyed spending the day with them. If I was on a date with any of them, I'd think, okay, this is a good person. I'm open to a second date. And then it finally clicks for me. I can like a man, genuinely like who he is as a person and still not be compatible for a relationship with him. Just because someone is a good person, just because they have characteristics that I would want in a partner, doesn't mean that they're relationship material for the type of relationship I'm seeking. This realization blows my mind and explains how I've been getting tripped up. I've been looking at the man in the context of Is this a good person? Is this someone I would want to have a relationship with? I think that's very different than finding someone who's capable of having a relationship and, more importantly, a relationship with me specifically. A certain type of man rings in my ears. Both my therapist and Kyle have both told me on numerous occasions that the man I will end up with will be a certain type of man, a man who's done the work. This isn't a judgment of what's out there. This is just. Compatibility. There are going to be a smaller number of men that I'm actually compatible with for the type of relationship that I'm looking for. And that's actually good news. None of the men that I've met so far fit this description. So it's no wonder it just hasn't aligned. This has nothing to do with me or even them. It's just not a match. I start to really see how far I am from the type of man I'm looking for, for the type of relationship I'm looking for. This is the ultimate looking for love in all the wrong places. I think the apps are part of the problem, particularly here in Newport. People on dating apps just have too many options available. It's literally an online catalog of humans. Why pick just one when you can have seven? If that's what's available, being part of a harem, I'm not interested. I'd rather be alone. I open up each app and unceremoniously delete my profiles and then delete the apps from my phone. Ugh, there. So much better. The next day I wake up and go on my beach walk. I start my walk by stopping at Starbucks, like I usually do. And then I walk down towards the beach. But the pedestrian footbridge that I always use is blocked off for maintenance. For a second, I'm not sure how to proceed. What am I supposed to do now? I decide to go another way, an unfamiliar way. Okay, universe, what are you trying to tell me? I start thinking about how sometimes life gives you detours and how that might actually be exactly what you need most. And then I hear myself say out loud, just stop resisting the fact that it's not going to look how you want it to. Wait, what does that mean? Be open to things not looking how I want them to. Trust that the right things will show up at the right time. Okay, I decide that something magical is gonna happen as a result from this detour. And it will show me once again that when things aren't going according to my plan, sometimes that's because something better is coming. I can't wait to see what surprises are in store for me because I've been forced to try a new path. Just as I'm thinking this thought, I turn the corner and see a strange looking man in a blue hoodie and purple corduroy pants. Please don't be my soulmate. Please don't be my soulmate. I quickly to the universe as I quicken my pace and practically run past him. Phew, not the reason for the detour. Good. I keep walking. Then I run into an old neighbor and we talked for about 15 minutes. Was that it? I don't get it. Was that what was supposed to happen? And then I recall the butterfly effect concept. The idea that small things can have nonlinear impact on a much bigger scale. The concept is named after the idea that the flutter of a butterfly's wings could potentially create a series of events leading to a typhoon in another part of the world. So I decide I don't have to understand the reason I was forced to take an alternate path today. Maybe it's not even about me. It doesn't always have to be about me. Maybe just getting this lesson is it. Maybe when this episode comes out, someone will hear this and need it. And I was just the messenger. How cool would that be to be someone else's blessing? Here I am just fluttering my wings in California. And maybe there's a typhoon of transformation happening in Denmark. Okay, but so now I benefit too because I actually get this lesson for myself. See, that's really something. As I'm congratulating myself for being so enlightened, I stop by a sandwich shop to grab lunch for my 13-year-old. As I walk up, I notice a guy sitting by himself with his back to me. Oh, who's this? I hear myself ask. Stop it, Rachel. It's the lesson, not the guy. On the drive home, I start to wonder how else I might be open to trying a different path in my life. I start to think about my conversation with Kyle. What did he say? Oh yeah, as we ended our conversation on conscious relationships, he said, I find that choosing surrender over control is really where you grow. Kyle talks a lot about surrender. Okay, so what if I surrender? What if I just put the universe in charge? I mean, God's in charge anyway, right? I just try and pretend I have some part in making things happen. What if I just surrender? Okay, well, then what does that mean? What am I surrendering exactly? What do I do? The doer in me isn't loving the surrender idea. She needs details and a plan and action items. Maybe I'm supposed to surrender my requirements. Like maybe I'm not supposed to find someone locally. All the best options I've found so far have been out of state. Maybe he doesn't live in Newport. Maybe I'm supposed to have a long distance relationship. I mean, having time with my boys, time to myself, and then like a week a month with my guy doesn't sound too terrible. I start to talk myself into a new way of thinking. Maybe I'm definitely supposed to have a long distance relationship. Okay, so how do I find him? I start to think of all the places and ways I could meet someone who lives out of state. Travel mode on dating apps, hotel bars, crash a convention in the area. I realize I've now started to plan my surrender. This reminds me of the time I was going to surrender for 30 days. 30 days, like a deadline to my surrender. What happens when we put a deadline on our faith? We lose it. I recently realized while doing an interview with my friend Claudine. She asked about what happens when you lose faith after the deadline hits for your manifestation. I replied, in that case, you didn't lose faith. You never had it. No, we can't plan surrender. Okay, so then I must be surrendering control. All of it, right? I guess the symbolism of the bridge being out and forcing me to go another way, I'm surrendering my plan. I'm surrendering my list. Does that mean God's in charge of the list now? I'm okay with that. I'm surrendering control. I'm surrendering the list. I'm surrendering my plan." God, you're in charge now. Good luck, God. Hopefully you do better than I do. So did you hear all that? If this podcast gets boring, take it up with God. He's now in charge of the list. Ugh, yeah, I don't like that. Of course you don't, you control freak. But the universe has spoken and so it is. So let's do this. At this point, I think it would be fun to give you a points update on the list. Have you been wondering how close we are to 100? I've been afraid to look, kind of like stepping on the scale after a cruise. So let's tally it up and then we can compare. How does God do compared to Rachel? Ready? Okay, so, so far we've crossed 24 items off the list, all ranging from one to five points. Again, the more daring the item is, the more points it's worth. So now this puts us at, oh crap. 51 points. Yikes. Okay, so now I'm over halfway to 100. This is fine. Everything's fine. We'll just... Oh, wait. I surrendered everything to the universe. Okay, so now what? What's the plan, universe? What should I do? No, Rachel, that's not how this works. That was the old way. Okay, so what's the new way? We do nothing. Nothing like nothing, nothing, or meditate, nothing, journal, nothing, go for a walk, nothing. Nope, nothing. Just wait. Wait until what? This. This is the problem. Relax. Trust. Surrender. Yeah, I definitely hate this. I'm ready to do something, to make it happen. Let's go. By the evening, I'm crying. See, I told you we'd get here. I once read a quote, something to the effect of, we run from our emotions by staying busy in our to-do list. I'm not someone who avoids feeling my feelings generally. However, There's an overwhelming feeling of disappointment that I push down by maintaining control over the process of finding love, or more accurately, by believing that I have some control over this process. When I take away the belief that I'm somehow in control, when I take away all the doing, when I surrender everything, all I have left is this crippling feeling of disappointment that I don't have what I want. And worse, I may never have it. I ask myself, okay, so. What if this never happens for you? What if love is just not in the cards for you? Then what? Can you be okay with that? Tears well up in my eyes. Okay, so maybe no. I decide to allow myself to really sit in the feelings. I turn off my phone. I take a bath and cry. I go in the sauna and cry. I make soup and cry. And now that I've deleted the apps, I feel like, how could this possibly happen? I feel further away from finding love than ever. Now I'm just supposed to trust that the universe is going to bring him to me. I hate surrender. I'm not good at it at all. This seems unnecessarily painful. So what if I just make peace with my worst case scenario? What if my destiny is to be single forever? What if there's no conscious loving relationship in my future? What if I had a crystal ball that just told me with absolute certainty that it was never going to happen? What if I knew how the end of the book turns out. Then what? What would I do differently? Well, there'd definitely be a sadness, a mourning period, that loss of a dream. I had that after my divorce, just a very deep apathy with life. If you're in a similar position, something you want so badly seems out of reach or impossible. Maybe it's having a baby or buying your dream home or finding love or whatever it is. There's a deep sorrow in not having it. Okay, so what next then? Well, I think that after I'd mourn never having this experience, I'd actually feel relieved. And then I'd just get on with my life. Feeling this relief seems so far away. But I've got nothing but time, so I continue to play with this idea. Okay, so now that love is off the table, let me look at how I'm living my life. How much of what I'm doing is directly connected to this result that I want to have? For example. Would I be working out as much and trying to lose weight? Or would I just fully, like fully, fully embrace my body as it is? Would I be growing my hair out or cut it short? Straight or curly? Which do I actually like better? Would I be so focused on personal growth? Would I be working on my sexiness? Would I be spending money in the same way? What travel would I be doing or not doing? I start to imagine what my life would look like. I cry some more. I'm not there yet, but I could imagine that I'd really love and embrace this life. (sighs) I don't feel any better. I feel like giving up. Is that what surrender is supposed to feel like, giving up? I don't think so. I think in surrender, there's faith that it will happen. There's faith that this indeed is meant for me. And that I'm just releasing control about how it will happen or when it will happen, not whether it will happen. Faith trust, surrender, all things I struggle with. I go upstairs, crawl into bed and under the covers and turn my phone back on. I get a notification that I have a new WhatsApp message. Oh, it's from my friends, the Money Mavens in the UK. It's a new chat entitled UK Bucket List. And the message from Charlotte says, Rachel, let's make your UK dating bucket list dreams come true. And the message underneath from Josie says, We're thinking a night of fun in Manchester and then a trip over to Ireland for a night of fun in Belfast or Dublin. (laughs) Well, look at that. An out of the blue invitation for a weekend trip to the UK to make my UK dating bucket list dreams come true. Okay, universe, you win. We'll do it your way. And I apologize for doubting you. I hope you loved that episode of Love Before 100. Be sure to tune in next time to see what happens and to help me cross another thing off my bucket list. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at LoveBefore100 to guarantee you don't miss a thing.